You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. My name is Oliver Queen. My name is Barry Allen. You're blind, but you see so much. Everything we've been doing, it all leads here. Suit up. Jim Gordon, GCPD. I hear good things about you, Counselor. Harvey Dent. Likewise, about you, Detective. You think you know me, but I've never been more than what each of you has created. <laughs> Just look at the flowers. The next scene that's extended is, uh, or actually that was cut out from the theatrical version, is is uh, Clark Kent makes a call home to talk to Ma, Ma Kent. And... Uh, or as we know, all know, and shouldn't all know now, Martha Kent. Oh. <laughs> That's her name. Why would you say that, Martha? So, what? in the phone call, he kind of, you know, as the theme for this movie for Superman, he's he has a crisis of conscience. There's, there's a lot of what what I should should I do? Should I help people? Should I not help people? Mm-hmm. Pretty much the only person he really ever wants to help is Lois. People but. are being mean to me. <laughs> what should I do? Uh, so he's, you know, he's he's looking to his mother for some inf- for some uh, some guidance, and he asked, uh, you know, why is it that his father, Jonathan Kent, never left Kansas? You know, and she says she gives him a story about uh, he would rather he he was more interested in making a home and and keeping keeping the farm than and then seeing the world. Well, you know, I like that scene and I like that antidote because. It's true. Okay, Jonathan Kent, he is a simple man. But if you think about it, he took the land and managed to make it something that could take care of his family and give them a lifestyle. But then you have somebody who's a superman. Well, your farm is a lot bigger. Your farm is the world. Can you take care of it? You know. So I think that's good in that aspect. And, of course, anytime you can have Clark Kent learn from the Kents, to me, that's always a great fun scene. So I like that scene. I think that was good. I think it was an enriching. I like how they take out all the like good parenting moments <laughs> in the DC cinematic universe and just leave in the bad parent stuff. Like, oh, you're <laughs> different. Don't save people. Fuck using yeah, your powers for good. <laughs> no, I was like, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. It's interesting that because this scene is almost in direct opposition from the scene that you see later with when he's talking to, to to Martha Kent and she says you know go out there and save them or don't you don't owe them anything and, <laughs> and I know Franny and I have gotten into this conversation many times is that he does kind of owe the, owe the people of Earth something because that was the planet that his biological father Jor-El sent him to because he knew that that'd be a place that he could learn and thrive and, and be like the people of Earth took him in as their own not maybe not knowingly but they did take him in yeah i mean it, it is it is kind of something that you know like because depending on which iteration you read you know clark or cal el was sent to earth because he'd have a fighting edge well that planet earth gives him that fighting edge so yeah you kind of you do owe something and with the temperament that the kents give him it makes sense why he would use that daily practice because hey if you can do the right thing you should you know to quote another hero with great power comes great responsibility. Right, and, and uh, which also goes to what you said earlier about Clark Kent's farm, farm being the whole world. And, and that's one thing that uh, I always... That's one thing that I've always found is the point that you need to know about Superman and Batman. With Batman, after his parents died, Batman is the true face of, of Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne's the, the facade, the mask. With Clark Kent, Clark Kent... The reporter is not his true face. Superman's not his true face. He's a farm boy. He's the farm boy for Kansas, and now the whole world is his farm, and he has to he has to try and make everything. He wants to make everything grow and and be and be uh, good, you know. So that's his true face. Yeah, I think it was either Jeff Loeb or Kevin Smith. Uh, I was reading something by one of them, and they were talking about that. And I never thought about that. That there are two Clark Kents. There's Smallville Clark and there's Metropolis Clark. And it's true. We, we kind of get, we lose Smallville Clark a lot. Um, and I think that was an important Clark. And I felt like this was a good moment to build on that Clark. But yet it's cut out. Yeah. Well, that's why you buy the ultimate. <laughs> <laughs> well, they definitely got my money, <laughs> whether I liked it or not. <laughs> I mean, Steelbook got mine. <laughs> 
So, okay, so another big part of this Ultimate Edition is that we see more of what happens to people that get branded uh, with the bat symbol. Now, this is where I think it gets a little weird, because a lot of people are saying that uh, they f- you find out in the Ultimate Edition that Lex Luthor is paying people to kill people with the brand on their chest, the bat brand. I think that only happens to this one particular guy, the one that we saw Batman take down at the beginning of the movie. Uh, I guess shanked? I'm sorry? Also, that guy shanked in prison? Yes, that guy gets shanked in prison. But as you... And, and we saw Lex Luthor, well, at least Lex Luthor through KG Beast, pay that gentleman to kill that guy in prison. However, when that guy gets to the Metropolis prison, he says... Uh, you can't put me into these jails. Everybody who gets put into jail with a bat brand gets killed. So it's already happening in Gotham prisons. This just happens to be Metropolis prison. And 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 Lex Luthor wants it to happen, make sure that it happens so that he can give the photos or he can give the uh, the article over to um, well, I think that's. I, I think that's one of those things where it's Again, kind of going even to the football score, 58-0. to zero. Metropolis is always better than Gotham. So in Gotham, yeah, nobody cares if a prisoner dies in jail because it happens all the time. It's a prison. They're scumbags. But in Metropolis, wow, somebody died, and they died with the Bat brand? Now that gives you even more reason, or at least it gives Superman more reason why he's like, all right, I'm going to go there and slam into his car and tell him the Bat is dead. You know? Yeah, I found it added uh, more to Clark's uh, motivation. It, it, I don't know if it. I mean, yeah, it kind of it kind of puts a little bit more frosting onto the motivation of Clark, but that's kind of what we already get when he gets those pictures saying, you know, judge, jury, executioner, you know, kind of thing. It, it's it's it, 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 we see of what like how Lex uh, made it happen instead of just it happening. Well, like I mean, I, I think for that scene, it does, it for me. It did two things. It shows Lex Luthor is a manipulative guy, which I like because now he went from being goofy Jesse Eisenberg pretending to be the Riddler to being like, wow, he's a good mastermind. But then I also like it because, all right, not to make this too real-worldy, but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, in the Middle East, you got people dying all the time. Those actions start happening here, here in America. Now we care about it. So I kind of felt it was the same thing, you know, like, well, you know, somebody gets mugged in Gotham City. Nobody cares. Somebody gets mugged in Metropolis. No, we're not going to stand for that. Not on these shores, you know, not this way. Okay, fair enough. Uh, the next scene, which I thought was very interesting, was cut out because I would assume it's a pretty big get to, to have him in the movie as a cameo. But you have Jon Stewart, the comedian uh, from The Daily Show, on a, doing a Daily Show segment about Superman. Now, in the segment, he talk, he's talking about how Superman has gone from being an American hero to wanting to be known as more of a global hero. And that's why he's interacting in these uh, international affairs and stuff like that. But he kind of uh, berates Superman, saying, how can you not be seen as an American hero when you wear the American colors and uh, your name starts with your, your symbol is an S and that's one of the three letters in USA? Which is kind of stretching. I almost think that's why they cut the whole scene in the first place. But uh, it was interesting to see that uh, uh, the you know the the scene has John Stewart of the Daily Show saying Superman is doing the wrong thing by helping people. When if you've ever watched the Daily Show, you know it's a very liberal show, and they they like the fact that you you should help everybody else. See, they picked the wrong John Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be funny if you put out there that there's a Jon Stewart cameo in, in Batman v Superman and people would be like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> One letter difference. Why is he a black marine? That, that doesn't mean anything to me. Oh, you tourist. <laughs> One letter makes all the difference. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a scene that, you know, it's... That one, they made the right choice cutting it from the theatrical. So... By putting it in the ultimate, it was like, oh, hey, John Stewart's in this. All right, cool. Yeah, exactly. Daniel, how do you feel about what's being said about uh, Superman not 
interfering in in uh, you know international affairs. They they even say it kind of, uh, the senator says it later on. You know she like when she's been being interviewed on te- television that uh, should he be a- acting unilaterally, basically unsupervised by uh, government officials. So how do I feel about what they were saying? Um, I guess it's just. Well, how do you see Superman? Do you see him as as being just a hero for America? Do you think that uh, when he inter- when he uh, interact interacts in international affairs, saving people that are being gunned down by warlords, that you know America doesn't go in and and stop for whatever reason? Should he do that? Should should America stop him from doing that? No, I mean, if he wants to help out the whole world, he you know has a right to do it. He can be anywhere in a split second, so why does it matter? I think, he, you know, he should... You know, I mean, we see him um, in Juarez, Mexico, save that little girl from the burning building. I mean, he's doing good everywhere. I mean, not everybody sees it. They might see him as a threat, but he's doing good, so I think he deserves to do his rescuing wherever he wants. So and I and you, uh, you know I, I feel the same way and I, I I'm pretty sure a lot of the people that read like Superman comics or just comics in general feel the same way because that's kind of what the the message comic books usually try and um, portray or put out there you know, if you can help someone you should help someone um, but I also you know I think a lot of people have to or a lot of people have brought this up after Civil War came out that. You know, these two movies do share a lot of similar plot points, and this would definitely be the one because uh, that's the whole point of Captain America's side is that if there's someone that needs help, I'm going to go help them. I'm not going to wait around for any government to tell me that I can't. Uh, how do you feel? How, do, how does everybody feel about that, you know, being portrayed in the two, in the two movies? I think it's neat, and I feel like that's going to add an element. I, I, like, the purpose of that, I feel like might be played out better in Suicide Squad. Because you can see the government is, you know, like I think about that opening line in Suicide Squad when they're like, well, what if the Superman wanted to go after the president? What would stop him? And it's funny because after the end of Batman versus Superman, Superman's dead. He wouldn't be their worry. But it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, it almost feels like the uh, the Accords, you know, one of those things where it's like that that little scene, that little dialogue, that could be something later on for when the Accords come to the DCEU. No, yeah, um, I think that that is going to be a little bit more uh, of. I, I guess you would see what uh, the Tony side of the Civil War would would look like in Suicide Squad. I didn't I didn't put those two together, so that's that's a pretty interesting uh, observation there, Franny. I do what I can. <laughs> uh, in the ultimate cut of the scene where Diana is at the museum opening and you know Bruce Wayne comes up and tells her oh the sword this isn't the actual one the actual knife is in, on top of it and she's like yeah I know where it's at I, you know I'm not one of these other bimbos that you usually talk to but uh, <laughs> <laughs> in the theatrical or in the ultimate cut he there's a more of a, a story about a, a psych, psychopathic uh, king or something like that perfectly in keeping with a king that is also a psychopathic killer. So, uh, you know, giving a little bit more backstory, and I think it's supposed to create more of a story of uh, Diana knowing a lot about history, and we're supposed to infer from that that's because she lived through the history instead of just reading about it. Uh, well, I think it's neat because you could almost tie that into, like, when they're talking about the psychopathic king who would do anything. It sounds like Lex Luthor. So it's like, yeah, she may have lived through Alexander the Great's uh, sword usage, but now here it is where it's like, history's about to repeat itself what are you going to do, Diana? True, very true, and yeah the the correlation between uh, you know, the Alexander the Great and Alexander Luther you know, is definitely there Yeah, because I feel like, you know, like it's funny because, ah man, there's a movie out there where, oh, okay, Ozymandias, there it is from Watchmen, he's like, I it was, uh, it was Alexander the Great, right? Wasn't that who he modeled himself after? Yes. And he was like, yeah, that's why I gave away my parents' fortune and I went out there and I discovered the world and I became the man I am. I almost feel like that's something Lex Luthor would have done, or even though he didn't do it to that grand scheme, he still feels that everything he's done is still just like an Alexander the Great moment. So I like that. It's it's a neat little, I mean, obviously I'm taking the scene and running with it, but I think it's neat in that regard that it's like, yeah, you know, this is inadvertently, I guess, man, 
this ultimate cut really did add a lot to Lex Luthor for me. And I think it's neat because, yeah, Alexander Luthor, Alexander the Great, you know. Exactly. Um, I think the next thing would be uh, part of Nightmare. The Nightmare, Nightmare Batman. That whole scene where we see we get glimpses of uh, parademons and the Omega symbol for Darkseid and stuff like that. In that particular scene... I guess the extended version also offers a shot or two of the men and women traveling inside the retrofitted school bus now resembling something out of Mad Max. Um, did that, uh, would that have added anything for anybody seeing that the, he had more people or, you know, you get to see, uh, there's an, there's the added footage of him seeing the bus and the, the trucks roll up. I don't think it really does. Well, because we know since now Batman's a killer, he doesn't really kill because since it's Mad Max, we live, we die, we live again, see? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to say, uh, as much as I didn't like this movie, this is probably one of my favorite scenes. Uh, I know he does a lot of killing in this, but I see it as a dream, <laughs> and it's also obviously a dystopian future dream. So, yeah, it's a glimpse at an Elseworlds. <laughs> yeah, it's a glimpse at an Elseworlds, so I'm okay with him using a gun and, and, and killing people in this particular scene, whereas in other scenes I really upset awesome. with it. I'm sorry, Daniel? The fight choreography is awesome. Right, and you know this is uh, this is a prelude and maybe just a glimpse, a tiny glimpse of uh, the, the fight scene we see later on in the warehouse, uh, which I like to call the Arkham Asylum video game scene. Yes. <laughs> well, plus, I, for me, that Omega, like, I know what's coming. I think all of us in this podcast knowing. I think the majority of you listeners know what's coming, and that's awesome. You know, at the end of, at the end of Avengers, you see this purple face smirk, and you're like, oh, shit, it's going to get real. To me, seeing that Omega nicely cut into the grass that exists for some reason, this dystopia, that was awesome. <laughs> Yep, all those scarabs flying around. That was badass. That's true. GT now has a new theory that it wasn't parademons, but those are actually like scarabs like Blue Beetle. I mean, because they do resemble a little bit more of the, the Blue Beetle scarab uh, or a beetle scarab than a, than a parademon or, or traditional parademons that we've seen. It's like a mix between the two. Yeah. How do you feel? How do you guys feel about that? I can dig it. <laughs> oh, I loved it. I loved it. I. I... It's funny, I, I think you and I were talking about this, Mitch, like years ago when it was like, oh, the new gods, the fourth world. Screw that shit, it's boring, you know, like, who really cares? <laughs> and, you know, then I, 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 re I revisited uh, the 1980s Justice League comic book, and I was like, oh, that's right, Mr. Miracle's in it. And I like Mr. Miracle, I forgot he's connected to the fourth world. And then Jeff Johns recently did the Dark Side War, and now I'm kind of like, I actually do want to go out and read the fourth world. I want to read that stuff. And, and you know, obviously the movie's embracing that. So I'm like, all right, cool. Because I've liked Dark Side. I've liked Mr. Miracle. I never gave a shit about the rest of it. Now I'm kind of like, all right, maybe I'll go read this stuff. Or the Wikipedia, you know, but at least it got me to read that entry. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. You know, it's uh, obviously where uh, they, they were able to grab some of us. Uh, better than than most. Um, yeah, and I feel like, I don't know, because I, I know we were talking about this. I always love my symmetry between DC and Marvel. So I'm like, okay, Dark Side, Thanos. All right, so Marvel had a hit with Chris Pratt as Star-Lord. I'm like, oh, man, your Star-Lord of the DC Universe is Mr. Miracle. So, again, DC, Chris Franey for Mr. Miracle. I will totally give you the Star-Lord feel and vibe. There we go. <laughs> Star-Lord and Mr. Miracle, you got your symmetry right there. <laughs> uh, so the next scene is Clark hears the truth, and it's about the the gentleman that got stabbed in prison. We get to hear from his, uh, his baby mama, I guess, uh, outside of the prison where you find out that he gets a little bit more information about uh, him dying and why he died. And I, I, it's, it's just... It's just more of the of the same with uh, the Caesar Santos character. Uh, I, I, it didn't need to. It didn't need to to be in there. So I'm glad they cut it out. Anybody want to say anything about that? I can go on to the next one. We can go on to the next one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it was all right. Nothing. Nothing yeah. too. Yeah. It's it, it kind of gives a little bit more like character to uh, character building to the Caesar Santos character, which we don't really need to care for a guy that's keeping women as slaves and sex slaves and and. And shit like that, so... Actually, okay, one thing to throw out there. Here it is. We actually know Clark Kent is a reporter. 
Uh, that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that is true. He is doing some actual report work, but it's still more of just his agenda of getting the Batman. Oh yeah, but I mean, at least you know you could see like this would be that moment where if it was a Superman movie on Clark's wall, you would have the pictures with the little yarn connecting things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the next thing is when Luther gets the the, the kryptonite shipment. After, in the theatrical cut, it kind of just has him looking at the kryptonite and then he closes the lid. In this one, he actually shares a glimpse or a, 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 a little sight with uh, Mercy. And I really did think this was interesting that they would cut this out of the theatrical, and I'm guessing for time, because it gives a little bit more to the character of Mercy, who literally has absolutely almost nothing to do in this movie other than get killed at the Senate hearing. Yeah, I thought that was such a shame because Mercy is such a great, like, you know, she's Harley Quinn, not, you know, not, not the weird zaniness, but she's, you know, his gal Friday. And it was such a shame in the movie where it's like, wow, you know, you have, you know, because the actress did a good job. She portrayed a strong force, but yet very feminine, you know, like quiet and reserved, but ready to drop a can of whoop ass. And yeah, all she got to do was stare at Granny's piss tea and blow up. And it was like, oh, man. So, I mean, I guess kudos to the actress, but yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, I guess it makes sense why they cut it, because ultimately, they didn't care about Mercy Graves' character. Which I thought was also, you know, a big disservice that you didn't get to see at least one scene where you, we, you know, what we get, we know about Mercy Graves is she can fight, and she doesn't, like, protect Lex Luthor at some point, where she gets to, in a, in a movie filled with some pretty good fight scenes, you don't... You don't get to see her uh, pull off her, her jujitsu. Yeah, exactly. Um, the next scene would be the truth comes out. Oh, we talked about that with Kahina, uh, you know, having to tell that she was lying about at the Senate hearing and then eventually getting killed on the subway. Uh, then we have the Senate hearing blowing up and... After the Senate hearing blows up, in the theatrical cut, Superman just flies away. Uh, but in the Ultimate Edition, he's actually bringing the injured out to the paramedics. I think it was good they showed that. And I, I, I think it was a bad idea to cut that because, yeah, with the explosion happening and then Superman flying away, and he does tell Lois, he's like, I, I just didn't see the bomb because I wasn't looking for it. You kind of look at Superman as a jerk. But in these extra little tidbits where you see him bringing out bodies, you're like, no, even though he didn't see it, he still felt responsibility to stay and help. I think that was a bad choice that they cut that. They should have left that because he's Superman. He saves as many people as he can. And if he can't save you, he's going to do everything possible afterwards. Right. And and it's, it's also it also gives a little bit of the... The idea, I mean, we, we already know in this movie that people don't know whether they should be happy to see Superman or they should be scared of him uh, for whatever reason. And then you get the paramedic that's like, uh, I'm going to try and help this lady. You should try and back away now or or whatever to him. And, and it kind of shows that this guy doesn't know. Did Superman actually cause this explosion? Or, you know, he's doubting the fact that Superman might have not helped people, you know, which is the the weirdest thing to to us as comic book readers that Superman not being a helpful person or trying to blow up being a blow up a Senate hearing, but this guy doesn't know. I took it more of he was like, Okay, you brought me this person, now get the fuck away so that I can do my job. Like but, you did your part, I have to do mine now. But he doesn't say I mean, I obviously you don't say it in a stern way to Superman like that. He says it more in a frightened way. Yeah, I, because you I know, know. he's like everybody else on that front line. Did Superman blow up this part of the Capitol? Did he? Is he responsible? You know, I think that, I think that I think that's what he was trying to portray. But uh, obviously, GT got something different from the scene, so that's yeah. which is cool. Um, what about you, Daniel? I I agree with Franny actually that you know that Superman would have done that. You know, stay stay behind and help out as many people as possible. That seems like it's more in his character. But, you know, you're also right, too. Like, you know, should we see him as a jerk? Should we be afraid of him when we see him on screen? Or should we be happy? That's kind of where I all got lost uh, by cutting that scene. So I felt like they should actually kept it in the movie, the theatrical release. Yeah, plus, I guess it's one of those things, too, depending on who decides what gets cut and what like that. 
maybe it's good that they cut it because I don't know. It's fine because I made a comment a moment ago when I said if this was a Superman movie, Clark Kent would be a better reporter. We would know that. They cut Clark Kent's reporting. They cut. They cut Superman helping people. So in the theatrical cut, you know, obviously, I think we can walk away from the saying this is a Batman movie. You know, and and so we want Superman to kind of come off as a jerk. That way you're like, well, I understand why Batman would fight him. Because, no, if Batman's the world's greatest detective, why the hell didn't he figure out Luther was pulling the strings? True. No, yeah, that's for a movie that has been called uh, a Batman movie. It is interesting that you don't really get to see the one aspect of Batman that usually sets him apart from the rest of uh, the street level or, you know, uh, human putting on a costume vigilantes as as uh, his detective work. He's supposed to be the, the world's greatest detective is one of his nicknames. And yet he's being manipulated by Lex Luthor. Yeah. Cause it almost, it reminded me like, it's funny to say, yeah, he's totally charging in like Wolverine, you know, like claws out, let's do this. And that made me think of X-Men when, you know, like when Magneto arrives at the train and he's got Wolverine and he's, and Wolverine's like, okay, fine. You got me. He's like, I don't want you, you fool. I want her. Bum bum bum! It was rogue the whole time, you know. And that's, you know, I felt like they put that part of the the cinema in the comic book, you know. <laughs> so in the next scene, uh, it's the Alfred chopping wood and seeing some more of the of the plans to blow up the Senate hearing. Uh, I'm glad they cut this scene out. To me, it... no, 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 because now we need to know who's going to chop wood better, Alfred <laughs> or Captain America. Captain America does it with his bare hands. It's true, he doesn't need the axe. So he's he got super it. soldier serum. <laughs> Alfred doesn't. Boom. <laughs> I, you know what? Actually, to me, this only furthers my uh, theory that Alfred doesn't actually exist in this movie. <laughs> he is a figment of Bruce Wayne's imagination, and it's his way of dealing with things that he creates this Alfred character, or at least the memory of the Alfred from his childhood because Alfred doesn't interact with anybody else in this movie. It's true. So he's, and plus these, these files that were in the previous scene, the very previous scene, uh, were at the Wayne offices with Bruce Wayne are now sitting on his, uh, coffee table in the, in the living room instead of being, uh, at the office, which is, uh, he brought him back to the house real quick before he went out as Batman. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Alfred's his safe that's his code word so like instead of Zen and uh, according to Grant Morrison it's Alfred <laughs> <laughs> see I'm glad everybody's getting behind this <laughs> especially when Alfred's like man that Superman dude is a dick you should really kill him and then later he's like whoa you're gonna try and kill him don't do that you're gonna fucking die. <laughs> That's What's true. wrong with you? Know, you? Once again, we we did talk about this earlier. What the, Alfred's a character in the movie that doesn't. You don't know. I, I think they just got his character wrong. Like you don't yeah. know where he's supposed to be. Is does he want Bruce to to settle down and have kids? Do you <laughs> Wait, want him to attack? This movie got a character wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it got all the characters wrong. <laughs> Superman does have beams that shoot out of his eyes, though. They got that right. That's true. Okay. They did get that right. He can fly. All right. Um, the next scene is the when the kryptonite gets stolen from LexCorp. Or LexCorp uh, in the theatrical cut, we it, it kind of all happens exactly the same. But in the Ultimate Edition, there is the added bonus of seeing um, a security guard being carted away on a gurney, and then also the it says here that the 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 security footage of Batman taking a guy. Yeah, that was uh, looked really cartoony. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that maybe it's just cartoony because it's, you're seeing it on a, a monitor inside the movie, or you just you just felt it was really too animated? They they basically just gave us fucking footage from Arkham Asylum. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I like that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a good comic book moment, you know. So it's like, yeah, if you're cutting stuff that you're trying to eliminate our shave down time. It's a good thing to cut because it doesn't add overall, but it's nice fan service because you see that moment. And you're like, oh, that takes me to this video game or this comic book. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. So it'd be interesting. Maybe how close was it to the introduction 
to Batman the Animated Series, you know, like, were there tiny little elements there? Maybe there was something from the cartoon, you know, I don't know. I, I could see that, you know, they, they might have thrown it in there just to have the, the animated series uh, be represented. But yeah, I'm not too upset that they cut it out in the movie, in the theatrical version. So in the Ultimate Edition, we have an added scene of when Superman or is walking up the mountain, the mountain where eventually he sees uh, the ghost of his father or you know has a conversation with his father, however you want to put it. His vision quest. His vision quest. But you have uh, which, what I guess are Sherpas at the bottom of the mountain <laughs> basically telling, talking about how doesn't that gentleman see that it's not a good time to go up to the top of the mountain? He's going up there to die or something <laughs> like that. I think it's good. I don't know. Maybe that's foreshadowing. You know, he, he's going on this journey, and this is going to be his ultimate payout, his death. So I don't know. Maybe maybe that's some on the, the deeper realm of things, that it was a foreshadowing moment, but they just cut it to time. Well, I mean, I think you already get the, the, the point that he went up to the, he went up to the mountain because he wants to figure out whether or not he should still be Superman. And I, I guess, if you, if you want to put it that way, if he decided not to be Superman anymore, Superman dies at the top of that mountain. But it's his father that tells him, you know, uh, or at least the memory of his father, because I don't really think it's a ghost of his father that comes to visit him. Does anybody else think that? Nope, totally is. <laughs> Boston brands up there. Ghosting. Hey, don't worry, I'll give you a, a free pass. <laughs> they also made a clay pot afterwards, but they cut that out from the ultimate edition. Was it? Just... There'll be an ultimate ultimate edition later. <laughs> was, did they cut it out because they just wanted to? You know, it was a little too sensitive for yeah. for the whole Patrick Swayze. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was really tough for uh, Kevin Costner to sit behind Henry Cavill, but they pulled it off. <laughs> it's because Henry Cavill has those huge lat muscles, you know? <laughs> you can't really wrap your arms around him. Uh, <laughs> it's a whole new expression to hero cake. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lois cracks the cake so, case, not cake. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Freddy. Uh, Lois <laughs> cracks the case. So she goes into uh, Scooter McNary's house apartment. I don't remember what his actual name in the movie is. Oh, Keith. Keith's apartment. Wally? See, is it Wallace Keith? That's right. It was Wally. Yeah. Oh, Wally yeah. Keith. Okay. Uh, she goes into the apartment, sees all the plans that he has up on the walls and all the psycho stuff. And then she gets the call from. Uh, Janet Clyburn, which is played by Jenna Malone, which, you know, I, I, we skipped over that earlier. Her scene was earlier. She uh, is some type of lab tech that, that Lois knows. Now, it was it's very interesting that this is the character that, she's put, that Jenna Malone is playing because she's just some really almost nameless lab tech that you know, doesn't really mean anything when a lot of people were speculating that she was going to be playing the female Robin from Dark Knight Rises. You know, it's funny. It almost makes me think, like, if we go back to Batman Begins and they were like, yeah, we got we got Liam Nielsen to play Henry Ducard. And you're like, Henry Ducard? He's only been in, like, four Batman comic books. And then, dun, 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 he's Ra's al Ghul. And so it's funny because this scene almost works in reverse where it's like, oh, you got this big actress, Jenna Malone. So, yeah, she's either the female Robin from Dark Knight Returns or she's Batgirl. But then it's like, nope, she's just some lab tech. And you're kind of like, oh, wow, that was anticlimactic. It's like, oh, <laughs> shit, you know, they got, uh, you know, uh, Patrick Swayze to come in and do a scene in Batman v Superman. He's going to play an important character. Yeah, he played that um, assistant to Jim Gordon that was in the 1966 Batman and our Batman show. You know, it's like, <laughs> that character? you know what? Really? <laughs> I just think it's more impressive. That they got dead Patrick Swayze to be in the movie <laughs> and do an Irish cop accent. Right? <laughs> exactly. It was all those clay pots, man. You just got it on my brain. Arrow <laughs> <laughs> um, cake. <laughs> so the, they also, she also drops the information. She first, she's she tells Lois that the bullet was uh, some type of weird science stuff that she has never seen before. So she she thinks it's Apoc- some type of apocalyptic technology. <laughs> yeah, she thinks it's some type of. Uh, DARPA stuff or something like that. So, which then leads Lois to thinking that it was the U.S. government that covered up the or that supplied the weapons and covered it up. We later find out that it's Lex Luthor that gave out the bullets. This time, she she's giving the information to Lois that uh, his his uh, wheelchair had a 
box that was lined with lead so that it could be hidden from the bomb could be hidden from Superman. Well, and, Lois you know, put that together. That they cut that out. True. Because, you know, again, the movie just relied on us comic book fans knowing, you know, that Clark can't see through fucking lead. But for those that don't read the comics, we're probably like, why the fuck did, you know, another reason as to why the fuck did he not see the bomb? Yeah, because I like that because exactly like you're saying, it, it relies on our past knowledge that Superman can't see through lead. I think that's important because the moment Clark is talking with Lois, he's like, I didn't see the bomb. I guess I wasn't looking for it. No, you didn't see the bomb because they hid it from you. They did it on purpose. So it's neat because that gets Superman to untrust himself, which is what Luther wants. Obviously, you know, Luther was the one who made the suicide bomber. Yeah, that little nugget has so many big moments, and it's a shame that they cut that. Uh, yeah, I agree with both of you. It's, it is a shame, and it, it, once again, uh, it relies on our for, uh, uh, for knowledge of uh, the character. Uh, next scene that's cut, or at least a line that was cut, is more of, of Alfred's character being cut out. Um, in the scene where Alfred meets up with Bruce Wayne inside the Wayne house that's now obviously dilapidated and burned down, Bruce Wayne tells him the story about how his father told him the story that we are all hunters, that we or our, the Wayne family came from hunters, so that is the trigger word that he needed so that he can go and hunt down Superman. But, uh... Alfred has a line that says, so falls the house of Wayne that gets cut in the theatrical version. Uh, how does this make everybody else feel that, you know, Alfred is at this point might actually be giving up on Bruce Wayne. <laughs> you know, he's kind of like saying, look, you're doing a disservice to your name by not being the man that your father would wanted you to be. I think it's, it's a big symbolism moment, you know, obviously, but it is because it's like, you know, when like Batman's talking about that too, and I think we've seen that in in our lives and other uh, elements of uh, entertainment. Driven, are you driven to succeed? Are you driven by vengeance? What drives you? And so falls the House of Wayne. Well, this is your house now, Bruce. This is what you've made it. You're branding criminals. You're you're you're. I mean, if there's even a one percent chance that this guy could kill us, I need to stop him you're just as bad as the crime you're going to go out and fight. So, you know, it's like, yeah, you're, you've destroyed your father's home. You're going back to the ruthless pelt hunters that were there. You're a dark Batman. So maybe that's why Alfred is like, yeah, this is the last time I really want to help you on this cause because, you know, are you looking for the right things? Or are you just trying to put pieces together to justify your actions? You know, do the ends justify the means or do the means justify the ends? That It felt like it gave that kind of dialogue, which is neat between people, you know, when you watch movies because it creates discussion like this. And it's a shame they cut that because, you know, it's a good Alfred moment. Anybody else? I think that was a good way of putting it. Yeah, that yeah, was very good. Which, uh, Daniel, you, I, you, I assume you didn't have anything else you wanted to add to it? No. So I think which also tends into the next one that I wanted to talk about was uh, uh, after Bruce Wayne finally comes to the realization that he shouldn't be fighting Superman because of the Martha line, <laughs> uh, he gets into the bat, or the bat plane and he has a conversation with uh, Alfred and in this one he ends it with, uh, uh, I don't deserve you, Alfred, which this line might have been cut because the other line was cut, you know. Alfred obviously, even though he says that so falls the house of Wayne, he still is there for Bruce, and this is uh, Bruce Wayne showing that you know, even though I, I might have disappointed you, you still stuck around, and I don't deserve you. Uh, which I think is portrayed a lot in Batman storylines, because uh, as much as everybody says Robin's ground Batman, I think it's Alfred that grounds Bruce Wayne. I agree with you. I feel like uh, Alfred really is a moral compass for uh, Bruce Wayne. Oh, yeah, wholeheartedly. Like, it's funny, like, you know, Batman's always like, oh, I lost my father. And it, it is funny when you think about the similarities between Superman and Batman. Jor-El and Thomas Wayne died. But Jonathan Kent and Alfred Pennyworth gave those two men, Clark and Bruce, so much more. Yeah, like, Alfred is... He is. He's the moral compass. Daniel nailed that. That's right. He is the moral compass of Batman. 
No, and that's a, a pretty. That's exactly true. I think the both of you hit the hit the nail on the head, and it's it's uh, obviously um, Kal El and and Laura uh, and Martha Martha Stewart, Martha <laughs> Wayne and and uh, Thomas Wayne are this legacy that both Superman and Batman have to live up to. Whereas uh, Pa Kent, Martha Kent, and Alfred are the are the people that actually raised these men, the the men who they eventually become. They're the reasons why they are who they are. So, yep. Good. I'm glad I could uh, add a little bit extra for everybody. <laughs> um, it looks like there's maybe a little bit more fight scene in the the warehouse. Uh, which I don't know why you would cut any of that out. Might as well give that fun to everybody. It's true. Uh, they might have cut a little bit more just because of the of the of the time. Um, the, but or the guy that got fucking splattered across the wall because I think there wasn't blood in the theatrical version, and then in the uncut there was blood on the wall. And uh, <laughs> I, I I have to say after the fact that you've already shown Batman shooting people uh, with his vehicle and crushing people with his vehicle. And you know, obviously they're dying. You didn't need to cut that out and and make sure that no one saw Batman have this guy's blood splatter, splatter across the wall. That's to me. That's you're just nitpicking now. <laughs> You've already well, created this Batman it, it, that kills. It's a shame that they cut the the scene when Martha thanks Batman. You know, when she's so thankful for him saving him when they sleep together. Uh, it's funny that they cut that scene, and it actually found its way into a movie that came out years before in uh, Hollywood Land. It was it was strange, but I mean, I made that connection. Did, did anybody else? Did anybody else? No, I don't. I, I didn't know. You're that, all wrong if you didn't make that connection. I, well, you know, they already showed the Flash traveling back in time to see to uh, Bruce Wayne in the Batcave, talking about you. It's all about Lois, and you. Oh wait, did I? Am I too soon? <laughs> so obviously, there is time travel. They eventually go back in time and make Hollywood Land together. Yep, exactly. Thank Mitch. Thank you. Thank you. Points. <laughs> Um, let's see. We have the ultimate edition is, for Lex Luthor. Uh, will learn uh, as brilliant uh, years in the making as his plan may be. Lex Luthor is forced to realize that all his efforts have been for naught. In the ultimate cut, the judo-Christian allegory surrounding Lex Lex continue, and the subtle efforts to show him as a flawed human person. His immediate rebuttal that he doesn't know how to lose is likely more revealing than his he intends, if blunt. But his next time that or next line that's more interesting. I and Superman up and down, laughing at the Man of Steel statement that Lex will learn. He claims that he doesn't hate the sinner, only the sin. In the case of Superman, his sin is simply existing. Therefore, he cannot let the hero win. Uh, was there really, I mean, at this point? Did we really need more of Lex Luthor explaining that why he hates Superman? Nope. I think it's a good relationship to because in some other elements of you know comic books or the relationship between Superman and and Lex Luthor, we've seen Lex Luthor can actually talk to Clark Kent, save Clark Kent, and be there for Clark Kent. But then he turns around and hates Superman, and it's so funny that you know Clark and Superman are the same. Um, if you read or watch the all-star Superman, there's the scene when Clark goes to interview Lex in jail and then, you know, the crazy riot happens and Lex helps save Clark. And he's like, Clark, you're a good man. But then it's funny because it's like, he's, you know, he's telling the sinner you're a good man, but it's bad to sin. It's bad to be Superman. So I think it was funny in that to me, that's what I picked up. So I thought it was funny in that regard, but it is kind of funny in this movie paradox or maybe a disconnect slightly because by this point in the movie, we know Clark, or we know Lex knows Clark and Superman are the same. So maybe it's, you know, like, well, if you had been anybody else but an alien, I could have been cool with you. But I'm a xenophobe, so I hate you. <laughs> but see, I think it's interesting that they, uh, it's not so much just the alien part of, because of in the comic books, I think you're right. It's the, the fact that he's alien is what Luther hates the most. But in this, it's he he attributes, attributes him to being a god and being the devil more than anything else, and he just wants to see this godlike figure fall because he hates the fact that there's someone with this much power that's not him. Yeah, and that's a good point too. Exactly, because Luther, you know, why is uh, why is Luther Tower the biggest building in Metropolis? Because he is reign supreme. He is Alexander the Great. 
But then Superman is a man who can fly. So yeah. No matter how high you build your tower, he'll always fly above it. There you go. Uh, I think so. The, I think the biggest scene that was missing from the theatrical cut that is obviously in the Ultimate Edition is uh, the Steppenwolf scene. The scene that supposedly gives you a little bit more idea that Luther might not be in his right mind, that maybe something else was influencing him, uh, and gives us more of the idea that Darkseid is coming because uh, you see him in the bloody diarrhea mess that is inside of that ship, and <laughs> and Steppenwolf is in front of him, and there's three boxes in front of him, and the police are coming in, and and uh, you know they're having some conversations. Oh, not boxes, mother boxes. <laughs> right, we know that they're mother boxes, but there's no way of knowing that it's a mother box until. Uh, hey, it's our responsibility to share that with the listeners. <laughs> Fair enough, mother. Yeah, he's telling nope, them about their the father boxes. boxes. Oh, Boom. damn. <laughs> so, how how does everybody feel about this scene being cut from the theatrical version? I think it's a loss. Um, they should have kept that. It's funny because wasn't that scene released to us like the next day? Like yeah. the movie came out Thursday night and then the next day they were like, oh, here's one of the cut scenes. Because to me, in my opinion, I feel like Steppenwolf, whoever that actor is that gets cast to Steppenwolf, that's going to be, um, oh, the name escapes me, but the actor who plays Loki. That's going to be your Loki of the DC universe. So that actor that gets the role of Steppenwolf He's going to get that little bit of a, you know, he's going to get that nice pay, that pay and exposure as Steppenwolf in the DCEU. Fair enough. Uh, I, I think you're right. It, it was the, the very next day after the movie was released that they decided they needed to get this out online. That, look, we, we, we knew what we were doing. This is some extra stuff that, you know, helps out the movie. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know why they took it out. <laughs> This is stuff yeah, that, that helps the movie, like, so we took it out. <laughs> we didn't want the good stuff in there. And it's only like, what, 30 seconds, 45 seconds long? Yeah, cut the Jolly Rancher. Cut the Jolly Rancher and give me Steppenwolf. You know, that's <laughs> you're, you're, you're exactly right. That's one scene that really did not need to be in this movie. It, it doesn't portray his character as... Uh, uh, crazy, I think, is that they wanted him to be, but it, it's it's it just makes him more creepy than anything else. And I don't think you needed Lex Luthor to be creepy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've never had a Jolly Rancher since the film. <laughs> well, I'll just remember to feed you one next time I see you. <laughs> so, so Mitch, I can't drop by later and feed you Jolly Ranchers. No, I want you to feed him to Franny. <laughs> <laughs> So when All right, Mitch, you're picking a fight. <laughs> Franny v. Mitch. <laughs> when this scene <Son> podcasting <laughs> was released, like the next day, I thought it was stupid. I was like, "This, who gives a shit about this fucking scene with a character that like nobody knows?" No one. No, I read comic books. I don't even know. Yeah, right. What? <laughs> but seeing it in the movie with context, it actually would have helped if it was in the scene yeah, because but... like I didn't really pick up uh that like he and Steppenwolf were like actually conversing right. with each other or doing whatever like whether Steppenwolf was like fucking commanding him to do whatever, you know? Uh, like when it was just that 45 second scene that they released, I thought that like Lex was just sitting there like catatonic or something, you know, but then immediately after that, it goes to Lex being arrested and you can see that he's there present, like shit was going on between the two of them. Right. See, but I, I, like I said, I don't, I like, it's, it's a character that's so very rare. Why not have... A, dep- a depiction of Calabac or yeah. Godfrey or even uh, Granny Goodness, Granny Goodness, or Darkseid himself. Like, well, you know, it's funny. They should have gone with. I think that would have been the best one to do. Would have been Godfrey because if you go back and I highly recommend you read this trade, the storyline before Suicide Squad. It's Legends. I think it was 1988 or 89, and Legends was the first DC crossover after. Crisis on Infinite Earths. And it basically started showing some cohesion between the new post-crisis DCU. And out of that, we see that the new gods are a part of it. We see Suicide Squad. You know, we get a lot of elements that I feel the DC Extended Universe is going to build off of. And yeah, Godfrey, I think he would have been the better pick. 
Steppenwolf is good because if you start looking at your history of uh, Darkseid and his father, it helps. But again, yeah, not many people read that. Um, if you do want to get some more Steppenwolf, definitely read Earth 2 from the New 52 stuff. And that actually shows his character in a more general-like position and in a better stance than he's always been portrayed as a lackey and the uncle of Darkseid, that Darkseid's like, oh, I'll just kill you. I don't care about you. And then that's, you know, what I know about Darkseid. He pretty much doesn't care about anybody, which I think brings me into the next uh, scene that I want to talk about. And it's the, it's kind of the, the last scene uh, with Lex Luthor uh, where Batman is talking to him in the prison. And in the Ultimate Edition, he uh, Batman basically says, you know, I've, I've arranged it so that you're not going to, stay in a regular prison, you're going to come to Arkham. So, uh, I think that's interesting because, uh, you know, obviously Lex Luthor throws out there that I'm crazy. I can't even stand trial. So, uh, you know, you can't just come in here and throw around these accusations and stuff. And he's like, yeah, I know you're crazy. That's why you're going to Arkham. And I have friends there and they're going to do nice things to you. Uh, <laughs> once again, well, he wanted to make it easier for Luthor to escape, but that's why I put him in Arkham. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. That is a, obviously, yeah, he's a smart man. He could probably use the, the prison transfer as a time to escape. Uh, but what I really wanted, I mean, does anybody have anything to say about the fact that he's going to Arkham Asylum or, you know, it's implying that he's going to Arkham Asylum? Nope. I just feel like that's going to get him closer to Suicide Squad. That's all I feel. I think that would be interesting if he showed up in the Suicide Squad as be part of Arkham Asylum, uh, and the, it helps connect the two movies a little bit more. Um, what I actually wanted to get to is that the idea that he even throws because which I think is in the, the theatrical cut also, uh, where he talks about now he's coming, he knows to come here because we've done this and this stuff like that. Obviously, he's talking about Darkseid. At least that's what I I took from it. Mm-hmm. Um, do I you feel that way? Yeah. Okay, okay, good. Um, what is the one thing that we always know from Darkseid wanting in the comic books is the anti life equation, right? Right. Do you think right. that some of that was used to create uh, Doomsday? Like that's why he notices Earth now because Lex somehow tapped into something that helped that inadvertently created the anti-life equation that's a good point to bring up yeah maybe with the with the kryptonian uh machines being able to resurrect zod you know that bizarro zod maybe that shows that hey i could resurrect these people and they'll be my slaves they'll be my underlings and do what i need them to do you know so yeah maybe that that could be a component to explore that it's it's part of you know uh do our uh Darkseid's quest for the the anti-life equation. Okay, so yeah, I, 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 that's the what I was picking up from that scene. Do you think that the fact that uh, Luther had to that Luther put in his own blood into creating uh, Doomsday created Doomsday? Like, was that like what was going to happen if they just brought back Zod? I think if they just brought back Zod, we probably would have gotten you know just Bizarro. I feel like Luther putting in his own blood was obviously that's Luther's vanity, you know, where it's like, well, I made you, I am your father, you know, scientifically and, you know, even more so in a biological sense, you, you are of me, you know? So I think that's why the blood in blood out. I think that's why he went for that aspect. I think it was more of a, you know, to be like, if uh, the cave troll from, you know, Lord of the Rings did kill, <laughs> Uh, Superman would have been like, hey, I did it because, you know, that came from me. Oh, that's a good point, yeah. Which then which then would be like you the fact that you're throwing in yet another character of Superboy, Connor yeah. Ken or Connell. You know, he's, uh, as you came to know in his storyline, that he's part Lex Luthor DNA because he wanted to be part of the weapon that kills Superman. Yeah, exactly. It's funny how they, there's a lot of cherry picking going on and some similarities. So, yeah, it's like, in the end, this Kryptonian DNA, which should have been Cl- our Kal-El's, but now it's Zod. And Luther made, you know, the cave troll from the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> we took that recipe off of the idea of how we create Superboy, the Connell one. Uh, there you go. All right, guys, we got through the Ultimate Edition and all the extra scenes, the extra 30 minutes of scene that uh, uh, was added. 
I guess after this point, how does everybody does it? Did it did it make the movie any better for you, Daniel, or any worse, or just the same? Uh, just the same. It didn't really do much for me. So okay, yeah, no <laughs> preference. Really. Same, Franny. I enjoyed it. It it made the movie better for me. I think it. Uh, for me, in my mind, I already gave a lot of those explanations. So it's neat seeing the ultimate edition and seeing what they put up there. It was kind of like, hey, you know, like I got eight out of ten. All right, I'm kind of on the same page as them. So that's that's what it did for me. It made me feel even more affirmed to what they're doing with their overall story, their end game. So I was happy with it. It made it a little bit better, yeah. And GC? Uh You know, I... I did like it a little bit better, but I still despise this fucking movie. Um, Like, you know, going forward, if they don't... Because I feel like they kind of foreshadowed Batman being like, look, even I hate myself in this fucking movie because this isn't how I should be. With his fucking speech at the end being like, oh, I... It was the tire. I, uh, pulling the tire, because that's what all CrossFitters do. <laughs> when he was all like, oh, you know, I failed him in life, but I won't fail him in death, kind of thing. Like, I hope that going forward, they're going to make Batman be like, you know what? Guns, I'm not going to use them anymore. I'm not just going to be fucking murdering people all over the place. Like, that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. And if I they like do that, that I, then I'm all right. <laughs> I'm not happy because this still fucking exists, but I'm more all right with it. Well, and I like that. I think that's a good moment where it shows character growth and what a great way to do it. That, yeah, my recklessness, my carelessness led to the death of a great man. And now I live to avenge him in the proper way. And yeah, it goes to the whole guns are the weapons of the enemy. We don't use them. We're not cowards like that. Yeah, no, I like that. Uh, For myself, I would have to say uh, it didn't make the movie any better. It did make the plan of this particular Lex Luthor like more coherent to me. Like like the fact that he actually had all this shit planned out. Uh, But... To me, it's still not the Lex Luthor I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. It's not the Superman I wanted to see. It's not the Batman I wanted to see. What? I, you didn't like Batmanikin? I didn't like Batmanikin. Uh, I didn't like Supermanikin either. <laughs> uh, obviously, with this Ultimate Edition, you get to see that Superman had some more lines. That's true. <laughs> he got to speak a little bit more. <laughs> uh, Clark Kent exists. <laughs> and, and, and Franny is right. We got to see actual Clark Kent reporter. But, uh, you know, I don't understand how so many people have come up in on social media and whatever saying that this Ultimate Edition has really made it the movie from being a terrible movie for them to being a great movie. <laughs> it, it doesn't add that much to any one particular character that it would do that for me. So I think maybe that little chills. bit was enough to convince them because it could have been one of those like, all right, 52% of it was bad, 48% of it was good. This sprinkles in, all right, hey, you know what? That put me more in a favorable mood. I'm not saying it's the greatest iterations of these characters or what they could be, but it made it an easier pill to swallow. So it makes it better. I don't know. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I'm I just saying, for me, I, 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 it didn't make it any better, and I have a hard time believing the other people that say it did, even with your great explanation. So it's because you need a hero cake. That's why. <laughs> You know what, like, if this was, like, Marvel characters in the same movie, like, we swapped some of these characters out for Marvel characters, I probably would enjoy this movie. Really? But it's not. Like, there would still be problems with the plot and all that. Like, most of my issue with this movie is the characterization. Like, because the way that I look at these characters, the way that I look at the two universes between Marvel and DC. Uh-huh. Like I've said before, is Marvel is, you know, like they portray Marvel's, the, the character you could be, DC's what you aspire to. Yeah, exactly. Like Marvel if I had powers, you know, I would probably do things similarly. Like most people would. Like it's more I don't want to say realistic, but that's the only word that I'm coming up with at the moment. Like, it's easier to understand 
to me where these people's motivations come from. Whereas yet, with DC, like that's what heroes should aspire to be. Like that's what we should aspire to be as people with you powers. Know, yeah. Or just people in general. Yeah. Like aspire to be better like these people are. Yeah, to piggyback off that and you know that that quote, you know, uh, Marvel is who we can be, DC is who we aspire to be. GT gave me that. We were doing a podcast, and I mean, I thank you for that because I never really looked at the universes that way. And hearing that and thinking about that, that is a very that that, that sums it up right there perfectly. In my, you know, that's like enough said right after. <laughs> and, and, no, but I mean, like in all my years of comic book reading, man, that like this is why I love what we do because that little conversation. Like, GT gave me so much. Thank you for that. You know, if I haven't said it enough, I want to say it again and make sure. Excelsior, true believer. <laughs> <laughs> Damn right. Um, but exactly, like, if this had been a Marvel film, it would have been way better. I could understand, you know, like, I could see Tony Stark being like, you know, yeah, you know, Winter Soldier killed my dad, so I'm driven. And, you know, I'm going to hunt down Captain America and Captain America having all that self-doubt and, and not being assured of himself. But when I see, you know, Bruce Wayne being driven to the point of branding and killing criminals and I see Superman so full of doubt and unsure of himself, I'm like, well, that's not Batman and Superman. You know, those that's not their personality traits. So you're right. This if this had been a Marvel film, I, people would totally be, you know, hands over fist money. But with it being the DC characters, it's kind of like, well, no, we've you know, I mean, no offense to Brandon Ralph, but ever since his Superman that's when we started seeing a Superman with a little bit of shaking confidence. And I think that's kind of become the norm because of modern society, you know, like, you know, we've met you, you know, we've had this talk before. People are like, Oh, Superman's a dumb character. He's, you know, he's too perfect. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, Captain America in the Marvel movies is showing us that, that you can have somebody who is an awesome, good hearted, genuine person and people can accept that. And that person should have been Superman. Right. And see, like, if it was Midnighter and Hyperion, which I'm sure plenty of people listening to this won't know who those goddamn characters <laughs> are, but they're literally Batman and Superman in the Marvel Universe. Like, they were made as parodies of no, Batman and Superman. Not, not oh, Midnighter. Exactly. Midnighter is part of the DC Universe. Midnighter oh, and Apollo. Shit. Yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, you're Nighthawk. Yeah, Nighthawk and, and Hyperion. Hyperion. Yeah, you're right. My bad. Exactly. Yeah. You're right, though. <laughs> they are the See, that's how fucking obscure <laughs> these characters are, that I even get them within their own universes <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> Uh, no, the, 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 and I think that's one thing that the the Marvel movies, as opposed to the, to the DC movies, are doing right is that when adapting them to the screen, they're still keeping the idea of their characters the same. The, right. the, the tone of the characters is the same. Whereas DC, when adapting to film, they feel they need to change the tone so that it so that it it they feel more like uh, every man characters, I guess. Right. But yeah, the producers and the Warner Brothers don't understand what every man means. I think they're taking a turn, an interpretation, and going with it. Like, I forget where, but they were talking about one comic book store owner, and he was like, "Yeah, you could totally see this guy in a business suit. He he took off his business jacket and put a Green Lantern shirt on and came in and was like, "Oh, hello, young man. What books are currently popular to read right now?" And it's like, "Oh, you're you're so out of touch, <laughs> and out of touchness," and they're putting it on the characterization of DC Comics. So and there and and that's you know what I'm trying to say is that you know we need these characters need to be held higher than just than just that so uh, that's my problem I have with this movie. Okay, I know uh, we, I said we were going to get to the the trailers that were released today, but I think we might have to save that for another podcast because it's already going on two hours or past two hours. So <laughs> uh, I want to thank everybody for being a part of this podcast uh, and and Sheffield who had to leave earlier. I'm, I'm so happy to have met him, uh, Daniel. Where can uh, people talk to you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Daniel Von Helvet and Franny. Uh, I'm on the Twitter as stuff I sh- stuff stuff I should say should being spelled S H U D. Jitsi, Wizard W and I am Agent of the Bat, Agent underscore of the underscore Bat. <laughs> <laughs> 
You should uh, definitely check us all out on Twitter. Also, at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter. And uh, check out Geek Elite Radio on Facebook, where we do most of our conversation and be part of our community. If you want to check out uh, other podca- uh, archived episodes of this podcast, Televised Heroics, or Hey Mitch, or any other podcast on the Geek Elite Radio Network, you can do it at our website, geekleetradio.com. But this has been a great conversation with uh, most of uh, who we have here at Geek Elite Radio. And uh, I just want to say thank you again and make sure that you tune in next week or any, any other day that we have <laughs> a podcast going. And uh, say this has been Televised Heroics and Hey Mitch on the Geek Elite Radio Network. Always remember to geek geek out. Geek out! (laughs) We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.